1: You are listening to the next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Firestarter.
0: Daddy. What's going on, Sweetie? Something feels weird. Something's changing.
1: You remember the tools we
0: tied, right? Pencil, desk, paper, shoes, your weight. Everything okay, Charlie? It happened again. What happened? The bad thing. If you ever start to lose control, what do you do? It didn't work. She's not a robot, Annie. She's a little girl. With little girl emotions, which are wildly unpredictable.
2: Charlie?
3: She just has to shove it down and keep it hidden.
0: Our responsibility is getting her ready.
3: Our responsibility is to protect her.
0: Charlie? If they catch her, they're going to put her in a cage. Charlie? They're going to run tests on her for the rest of her life. We'll never see her again. If who catches me? Something's happened. I need it handled with discretion. And I need her back alive. Holy shit. Do you know what it means to be on the run? Bad men are after us. Really bad. I hate living like this! You're special, Charlie. I'm not special! I'm a monster! Ah! Charlie!
2: I want to help her
0: you want to use her charlie don't be stupid where's mommy do you feel that let her go or it's gonna get a lot worse where's mommy tell me now she's the first of her kind a real life superhero you need to understand how to use it it can't be a reaction it's got to be a decision the only way that you can control it. She's becoming a young woman. I'm not going to jail. And someday soon, you're gonna change the world. She may be capable of a nuclear explosion. Run, Charlie! On your knees! Simply with the force of her mind. <laughs> the whole world's going to hell. Promise me that you'll never use your gifts to hurt people. All bad people, I promise. Trust me, Charlie.
2: You don't have to be afraid. Please,
0: I can help you. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I don't want to hurt anyone, but it feels kind of good.
1: All right, everybody. You were just listening to the trailer for Firestarter, and the story is as follows. A couple desperately try to hide their daughter Charlie from a shadowy federal agency that wants to harness her unprecedented gift for turning fire into a weapon of mass destruction. Her father taught her how to defuse her power, but as Charlie turns 11, the fire becomes harder and harder to control. When a mysterious operative finally finds the family, he tries to seize Charlie once and for all, but she has other plans. The film is starring Zac Efron, Ryan Kira Armstrong, Sidney Lemon, Kurt Wood Smith, John Beasley, Michael Greyeyes, and Gloria Rubin. It is directed by Keith Thomas and written by Scott Teams. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Cody Derricks. She's just a girl and she's on fire. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. We didn't start the fire. Uh. Matt, this is already going to be painful enough. You don't need to add fuel to that fire. Huh. Huh. Uh-huh. But maybe... If we podcast hard about it, we'll put that fire out. Mm.
3: Already regretting
1: this. (laughs) So Firestarter, a remake of the 1984 film adaptation of the same name by Stephen King. (sighs) There's a lot to discuss with this one, but not in the sense of. This is going to be a long discussion about themes or anything like that. I mean, there's a lot to discuss just from a standpoint of what exactly went wrong here, because this is not a movie that's going to set the world on fire, despite it playing in both theaters and streaming on Peacock right now. So a lot of people will have access to see this. No, 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 This is going to fizzle out into the nothingness and will probably be, in my opinion, disregarded And the 1984 film adaptation uh, will probably remain as the default choice for how people want to consume this story on the big screen. I mean, you know, you probably should just read the novel, honestly. But I'm curious to know, Cody, I'll start off with you first here. Uh, What did you ultimately think of this? What has been your experience both with the original film, potentially the novel as well, and... Yeah, Blumhouse, another misfire for them lately, which I think is, uh, I I don't know if it's so much telling or if it's just the way it's always kind of been with them. Because I do feel like they are revered as a production company that has uh, a lot of hits on their hands because of their model for how low-budgeted their films are and how much money they make in return. But there's quite a bit of crap in there, if you ask me. And I think this is uh, joining the pile, so... Uh, that's enough setup. What did you think of it ultimately?
2: Well, speaking to the Blumhouse of it all, I think you're right. I think their model and just the amount of output they have, it kind of reminds me of back in the 50s era where, you know, you would watch a, a B movie matinee kind of thing. And like every now and then you get, wow, Creature from the Black Lagoon. That was actually pretty good. But for the most part, they're not good. So I think that's just a product of them being really prolific and just like throwing, you know, their minimal budgets around where they will. And to a certain degree, I applaud them for that. But then every now and then you do get um, a film like 2022's Firestarter, which I watched the original kind of recently. I recently wrote an article on all the Stephen King movies of the 80s in preparation for this film coming out and the original movie i quite enjoyed it's not scary it's more of a sci-fi superhero metaphor for growing up kind of movie and that's just all well and good but it's uh it it takes its time and it's much more reluctant to show the actual fire starting abilities than this movie is even though this movie there's not There's not that much action. The the original has even less until the literally explosive finale, which totally pays off and makes the movie even better. This movie really just kind of limps along its merry way, not really finding a point or a message or any sort of strong themes that could be applied to the real world. And with a power as vague and as ripe for metaphor as fire starting and pyrokinesis is you'd think they would try to bring some sort of new take to the story and you know the original is not I would say as well regarded or as high tier as some of the Stephen King classics you know it's definitely not on par both uh, quality wise and culturally as something like Carrie or The Shining or even something like Christine but it is just a solid movie, but you think that they would in remaking it there would have to be a reason, there has to be some sort of read on it or there has to be some sort of new thing to explore. In fact, it explores even less. So, yeah, really didn't have a good time with this one.
3: Josh Parm. So, I actually don't have really any familiarity with this property. I have not seen the original movie. I thought about it, but I just didn't really have time leading up to watching this film. So I know it a little bit by reputation, but outside of that, I really had not explored what the actual like substance of this story was. And even without that comparison to the first movie, this film is still terrible. <laughs> it's so bad. And what's really, I think, egregious about it is it is just so boring. There is nothing in this movie that really excites you on any level, even in, like, a cheesy, schlocky way. It's just so kind of wooden in its presentation. And, I mean, the writing itself is, like, pretty stale. And the filmmaking overall, too, was just so... It's, like, just so bland and wooden, and there's no inventiveness here. And I think that there was potential towards the end to indulge in some of that, like, more energetic tone, but it just completely botches it, too. And it just really does feel like, yeah, you're just limping along and not really invested in any of these characters. And, you know, I I do... I I do notice how, like you said, Cody, that these powers are kind of like vague in their presentation. And I think that's also a problem that I had with it is it felt so broad in its metaphors and in its storytelling that it never really got to anything specific for me to hold on to and to be like, okay, let's, Probably that further. And it just was all surface. There was nothing inventive in here. It was so painful to get through, honestly. Even though this movie is like 90 minutes long, there's just nothing here that is interesting. And it is a pretty, I think, terrible movie.
1: Okay, first of all, I want to just say I apologize to the both of you because there was somebody on Twitter who actually asked me uh, after I posted my reaction to this film, they asked me, be honest. Did you really want to see this, or are you watching this out of some obligation? And the reason why we're all here, you, me, and anyone that's listening right now that's probably watched this, is because of this podcast. (laughs) And... Yes, I will freely admit that if this podcast did not exist, I do not think I would have watched this movie, especially after the initial reviews uh, came out. This thing is currently sitting at less than a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. So that should tell you everything that you need to know. Now, the original film, I have not seen it. My plan was I was going to watch this, and if I liked this, then I was going to go and then watch the old one. I didn't want the old one to influence how I felt about this new one when we did this podcast, but now I really have no desire to want to go and watch the original at this point. Cody, would, would you still like recommend like watching it just for the sake of curiosity, or?
2: I would. I think it's still worthwhile. I gave it a 6 out of 10, so, you know, it's totally watchable and it's actually the plot is the general thrust of the plot is the same obviously but what it chooses to emphasize and how long it chooses to spend in certain areas of the plot is completely different half of the original movie takes place in the facility at the end and it's much more patient and explores her powers and they try to you know coax uh control of the powers out of her and it all works much better, but I mean, it's not like I said. It's it's definitely B or C tier Stephen King. Now
1: we've seen other recent movies play around with very similar tropes in recent years. Um, I'm even thinking of something as recent as Those Who Wish Me Dead, where a little kid is on the run from an organization. There's fire involved. Okay, it's probably very like very loose, but Logan being another example. And anytime you have like any of these movies with kids on the run with uh, some paternal uh, figure of some sort, there's a lot of opportunities there to explore character relationships and, you know, some nuance and really flesh out who these people are. And then maybe also add in some social commentary into the process as well. This movie's blessing and this movie's curse is that it is 94 minutes long. And there's just seemingly not enough time to flesh out whatever themes the original novel uh, contains. And the characters themselves don't ever have enough time. And this movie always seems to be adding new characters to it and not giving them enough substantial time. That by the time we get to like even just the very end with uh, Gloria Rubin, I'm like watching this thing and I'm saying to myself like she has not been built up as an antagonist like at all in this movie. Michael Gray Eyes, on the other hand, has been built up, and we don't really re- even really get enough time uh, from his point of view to explore anything about his character. Kurtwood Smith, who has one of the best scenes in the movie here, uh, he only has one scene, and you know he was a very welcome presence here. And you know, there's stuff that happens with the mother, played by Sidney Lemon, uh, and but really, this is just a Zac Efron, Ryan uh, Kiara Armstrong show, and. I just found the chemistry between the two of them to be utterly lifeless from a family drama standpoint. I found the action in this movie to be also very lifeless as well. Cinematography is very washed out and devoid of any kind of striking visuals or anything that would, like, just pop uh, from that sort of an aesthetic standpoint. And then the horror. Like, there's what? Only two or three jump scares in this, and they're not even that effective. So like on every single level, superhero origin story, like all, all these different uh, genres that this movie uh, wants to incorporate here to present something that could be meaningful, feel fresh, and also maybe even an, an uptick from the original film, it fails at each and every single one of them. So... When when you said before that this was just a boring, dull movie, I, I agree with you. I was begging, begging someone to put me out of my misery while watching this film. Uh, and I got to tell you, like, thank God it was only 94 minutes long because I don't think I could have taken another minute of it by the end.
2: The thing about this movie compared to the original is you're right. There is no elevation of. Any aspect of it. Nothing in this is better or even good compared to the original's portrayal of those same things. The only thing this movie does better is it is weirdly accidentally funny at some parts. I did have a good time watching it and sorry I was in a theater with Myself and some friends, and that's about it. So we were laughing out loud, which is not what you want from your Stephen King movie unless you're looking for that reaction from the audience, which this film clearly was not. Right. Let's be very yeah. clear
1: here because I've had some people ask me this, too. This is not falling into the category of so bad it's good. No, no,
2: no. no. I thought for a minute it might be because of the first act there I was having – quite a bit of, like, perverse fun at the movie's expense. But then the second act and the third act gets so boring. Just nothing happens that's interesting. It's just not worth the time.
3: Yeah. Like,
2: there was a moment at the very beginning of
3: the movie where Zac Efron picks up a baby (laughs) and the baby's head explodes with fire. (laughs) And, And that was the moment where I thought, okay, maybe... This could be fun, but that is not indicative of the rest of the movie. The rest of the movie after that is so dour and kind of self-serious. And it's like, that's not the tone that you want with this material. You want to be a little bit more indulgent in something kind of silly, because otherwise you're just stuck with like this very weirdly serious drama that they're trying to craft this horror narrative around. And with these characters you're just not engaged in anything that they're doing and i would also just want to bring up again these antagonists who are just completely wasted for these actors like these are good actors in these roles and i even think that for the little bit that they are doing they're effective but there is nothing on the page to really elevate these characters into something that's more interesting and i just felt bad for all of them, because I wanted so much more from their portrayals, but they were just not given that from the material.
1: Oh, Zach Afron gets no sympathy from me. Uh, outside of the Ted Bundy film that I saw him in, I still don't think he's ever given like a great performance in anything I've ever seen him in, honestly. And I agree with you, Josh, that like I thought what Michael Greyes Grey was doing was at least captivating when he was on screen, but there was nothing to his character for him to chew into. Uh us knowing what he's capable of. You know, if you want to see him really dig deep into a character and give like a really amazing portrayal, like you should definitely check out this movie called Wild Indian that he's in. Yeah. Uh going back to the opening here, I knew I was in trouble the minute that they had close-up shots on the baby and the baby was crying. They they must have had some like ADR or something like that. And the baby's like mouth was not moving to the sounds that the baby was making. And I was like, oh, no, like we're, we're getting some sloppy filmmaking here that they're going to hope that we as an audience do not notice. And of course, right from the very beginning, the just the, the color palette and the way that this movie is shot digitally, it just looks so murky and ugly. Uh, so right away, I knew we were in trouble, which is a little slightly surprising to me because, and, I, and Cody, I know you saw this movie because I actually thought this movie was pretty decent. Keith Thomas, the director of this, he did The Vigil. And I actually thought that was a pretty solid independent horror film, all things considered. Yeah, I also saw The Vigil. Oh, you did? Okay, I didn't, I didn't realize you saw it too.
3: Yeah, yeah, that is a very well-directed movie. Actually, I did not know that that was a directed. That is kind of shocking. That's what I mean, the, right? The Vigil is, yeah, is a really well-directed film that kind of uses its very limited means and perspective to create something really engaging. And, yeah, the filmmaking here is just so sloppy. Like, the editing is atrocious in this movie. Like, scenes just sort of end in weird places and there's this very odd just overall pace to this thing it is not very well put together
1: not to mention too and i'm i know i've said this on other reviews i'm going to continue saying it time and time again simulated visual effects fire will never look as good as the real thing no and i don't know why even when it's an independent film uh filmmakers are resorting to this all the time it just does not have the same impact
2: No, there's no sense of danger. There's no sense of weight to it. And I'm sorry to be the one comparing it to the original because I don't like that as a critical style. But in the original, there's, you know, like I said, it's pretty restrained in the fire. So when it does pop up, it is shocking and impressive because, you know, you know, for this 1984 movie, they had to just set people on fire. There's no other way to do it.
1: Like, there's one part in particular with uh, men in burn suits where the fire that's being uh, deployed on them, I could tell that that was probably an actual, like, flamethrower, uh, maybe some real fire effects, because they're in these burn suits. So, you know, they're obviously protected in real life. So why not go for the real thing? Uh, but outside of that, I really just feel was never, to your point, like I was never feeling the stakes or the drama. You weren't feeling the heat? Oh, there we go. We need more of these puns in this review. We're getting too serious about this. I'm trying my
3: best, dude. I'm trying my best.
1: (laughs) And I know that there's one scene in particular that everyone is uh, kind of talking about I see on social media right now. Uh, This movie has a scene of animal cruelty that is like one of the more disturbing examples I've seen in recent memory. And one that I... And once again, very surprised that nobody from a production standpoint like jumped in and said, hey, can we shoot this a different way or can we just like script this a little bit differently? Because I found it to be very egregious and I understand like the themes it was like going for in terms of how it was trying to impart a lesson onto uh, Charlie and with her powers. But I was and I don't normally get upset about this sort of thing, but for this particular movie, I don't know why, but this particular scene It really upset me on a level that uh, other movies have not really achieved before.
2: I mean, it did... there's a way, not to say there's a way to kill this animal and have it be worthwhile, but there's a way to make it feel, you know, weighted in the span of the movie and have it have actual impact and stakes and have it be kind of a shocking moment, not just for shock's sake or because they're looking for an action beat, you know, 20 minutes where there's been no action, but it could have been a moment for the character to really go through something or for the audience to realize these powers are actually pretty serious compared to the tone of the movie so far and it just does none of that
3: yeah the execution is just really terrible Is the problem because i also don't have an issue with like the content of what they're trying to present there Uh, you know i do think that there is something that they're trying to establish as you said cody with her character and the consequences of these powers but the way that it's presented is just so shoddily executed and i just felt like First of all, the moment just isn't really given a lot of weight to it. And again, the editing is just really choppy in that, and it happens, and then we get the lessons like right after that, and it's a huge tonal shift. And also, as you mentioned before, kind of unintentionally funny with how fast it goes to. Yep. Like, I mean, they, when they put the gravestone on it, and it just said <sighs>
2: Cat. cat. <play. laughs>
3: I mean, they're not wrong. No, but it's like, it's a weird button to end that scene on because it is so unintentionally hilarious. And again, if that was sort of the tone that the whole movie had, I could maybe go into it a little bit more forgiving. But it clearly isn't. Like, this movie doesn't have any grasp on how to make this material entertaining at all. It's just... It's just so bizarrely put together to me.
1: I mean, even if they were trying to go for sort of a retro vibe with aspects of it at times, like I actually found the opening credits with the uh, 1980s like uh, title font uh, with the you know it, it being presented in red and intercut with the camera footage of the interviews that were being done, I actually found that to be uh, pretty neat. And I wish that the movie had kind of followed through with that. And the only way that it really does is through the uh, score here which I didn't realize until I looked it up, was actually done by John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter, and Daniel Davies. And uh, I guess I probably should have realized that it was them while watching it because I I noticed, I'm like, oh, this has like a very retro feel, kind of like the Halloween movies. right? So naturally when I saw that it was them I was like, oh, well there you go.
2: (laughs) This is a problem I've seen a lot with horror movies lately especially ones that are trying to attract a kind of retro vibe is they'll drape them in like minor aesthetics of different eras whether that be, to your point Matt, the font or the music for just a little bit of the movie but then not use that in any sort of stylistic way with the actual content of the film. And I mean I've seen it in, you know, small movies like this. I've seen it in a lot of horror movies, a lot of horror movies in employing like synth scores to try to give some throwbacky joy to it. And I've even seen it in big movies like and Josh, I know you're about to agree with me on this the way that Mank is shot, where they want to have some aspect of the movie that reflects a certain time period and makes you go, oh, this reminds me of blah, blah, but doesn't completely follow through with it, yeah, I agree with all of that, Cody. And, you know well first of all the title
3: sequence just invited comparisons to malignant and you don't want to invite comparisons <laughs> to malignant because you will always lose you know? <laughs> so there was that and then even the score like was good but i really don't feel like it, they utilized it well enough until we got towards the end like the the finale is where there was potential for it to the whole movie to be better and i think that's when the score like really finally gets let out of the cage and tries to go in for that 80s throwback but for the majority of this film i was actually very underwhelmed by the music and kind of disappointed honestly because i was expecting more from you know this crew to score this film and was left feeling quite unsatisfied
1: I guess the finale, I don't know. I, I think by that point, my entire experience with this movie had just been so burnt that, oh, Jesus, um, that, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, you're not sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> Say it loud and proud. Okay, okay. It, it had been just so incredibly uh, burnt that I really did not care about anything that was happening in that finale. Uh, you know, they had all these, like, pyrotechnics uh some of it actual fire some of it cgi fire which once again of uh, fine um the cinematography was not helping i felt that the lighting and just the overall color palette was not accentuating um charlie's abilities in a way that they should have not to mention there's like a storytelling beat involving her and zach afron in the finale that i just found to be incredibly unearned and also confusing because I'm watching Charlie go through, like, all of these red shirts like they're nothing. And I'm saying to myself while watching, well, if she could just do all of this, then why did she have to do what she did earlier? Like, it just, it just didn't make sense to me. And I kept thinking that there was another way around it. But the screenwriters wrote what they wrote, or or rather Scott Teams, who has a sole screenplay uh, credit here. But, uh, yeah, I... I uh, man... And then finally, at the very, very end, it just seems to wrap up so quickly uh, that, you know, like I said, at that point, I was just ready for this movie to be over. I didn't care at that point. I was not emotionally invested. I was watching it just for the sake of watching it at that point. It did not hit me emotionally. And I kept wondering uh, by the time I got to the end if this had been better served as an adaptation, if it was... uh, a brief miniseries, four episodes, five episodes, something like that, where they really could have fleshed out the characters. They could have had these action beats hit harder. They also uh, could have. I don't know if this is what they were intentionally going for, but it seemed like at times they were trying to make this into sort of a stranger things type of movie in the way that this is a kid who's discovering uh, her abilities introducing these horror and sci-fi elements and i don't know i just kept on kind of going back to stranger things and how that show and that property has been benefited from the long form storytelling and i just kept wondering ah could this have worked as a you know like a four hour story broken up into parts
2: it absolutely wants to be Stranger Things. Stranger Things, which to my earlier point, really kicked off to a degree this wave of we're gonna put yeah. retro feels into things, but not have it be fully ex- executed, which is part of my problem with that show.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you on that, and I think I think you're right in terms of that kind of setting the precedent here for like this new wave that we're experiencing. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that.
2: Which isn't always a bad thing because. I really love the at least the first chapter of the adaptation of It, which is clearly trying to do a very similar Stranger Things vibe. But I think it actually works in that movie, and this just feels like a diet, watered-down version of that. And,
1: and you know what? That's actually a really great example because you, you could have even – forget about this being maybe, say, three- or four-hour you know long story – You could have had this be like a part one and part two and just presented it as that on television or streaming, kind of like the way they did it, you know, when it just had it broken up into two feature length movies. Granted, the second one was like incredibly long, but as far as like an adaptation goes and trying, at least attempting to do justice to those characters and to that story, I I can't say that the It movies didn't didn't take a swing for it. They definitely did.
2: The difference, I think, is that it has much more both plot and thematically going on, whereas Firestarter, I haven't read the book, but, you know, just going off of these two movies I've seen, the story is relatively thin. You know, there's not much to it, but you can beef it up with themes and relevant ideas to the real world, which the original does without being too obvious about it. This is just kind of nothing.
1: Yep. And that's what I was hoping for was I was hoping that this modern-day remake would attempt to do something different and make it fresh and make it feel relevant. And it really doesn't. Instead, it's one of the most poor examples of overall filmmaking, both from dialogue, writing, to the way it's shot, like, really pretty much across the board. I I mean, when I tell you, like, my pros for this movie are, like, whittled down to maybe, like, two things, I'm not kidding. Like, I I found it very, very difficult to find anything worth noting in this. to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com/listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. So with that said, why don't we get over to uh, final thoughts here on Firestarter? Anything that we didn't discuss that you want to bring up here uh, Josh Parr, I pass it over to you first.
3: Uh, the one thing that I do want to mention is there was a little bit of hope that I had towards the end that maybe the movie could get better. And it is to me what is the best scene of this film which is a moment with Charlie and this agent in a car. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is like, that's the only good moment. And that was the one time where I sort of felt like, okay, this is actually kind of entertaining. It doesn't feel like it's taking itself quite that seriously, but it's also being kind of playful with the stakes at the same time. And it actually did, pay off the whole moment with the animal from earlier and was also a little bit funny. I don't know how much of that was intentional, but I found it actually a bit funny too and sort of neatly executed. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, we're about to head into the finale. This is actually a pretty good scene. If the rest of the ending can match this, then maybe this can be a little salvageable. But of course it didn't. It, it wasted all that potential. But I do want to give a shout out to that one moment where I thought everything kind of came together in a good way. It unfortunately just was not followed through with the rest of the film at that point.
1: Agreed with every single point you brought up here, including the practical makeup effects for the gore and the melting of that character's Mm -hmm. face. That was where I was like, God, this is what the movie should have been all this time. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Right. I had the same – my final thought is exactly the same thing as what Josh said. I, that was the one scene that jumped out to me as, oh, we're actually maybe doing something with this because – and I also want to shout out. I think Ryan Kira Armstrong does the probably very best she can with this material. Yeah. It's not good yeah. material. I, I don't ever
1: I really like digging at child performances because yeah. you don't really know how much of that is the director, how much of that is the inexperience of the child. But – I'll say this without placing blame on anyone, her performance really did not work for me in this.
2: I, I think this one scene is the moment where I was like okay there was potential here and I mm-hmm. think you know she I think she has talent and that's this scene showed that she could do better work in better films and I think the way that she delivers some of the lines in the scene especially there's one moment where she says something like I don't want to hurt you sir and it's delivered with such like she you can actually get a lot out of it, the line reading in this one moment in the movie she's clearly scared to use her powers but trying to be forceful like a grown up and that one moment I thought okay there's something here but if in your 94 minute movie I'm pointing to one line reading as a saving grace you're in trouble yeah
1: Yeah. alright I have a couple of different things here Uh, first of all Sydney Lemon um, I wish that she was in this movie a bit more I understand that this is an adaptation and I totally understand that you know the story needs to do what the story needs to do but I do feel like uh, her exit in this movie could have been held off until later for greater emotional impact. I didn't feel like we spent enough time with that character to really get that moment. Or it goes back to what I was saying earlier, where mercifully this film is short because it gets us all out of there for those that are not enjoying it. But at the same time, I do think the shorter runtime is to the movie's detriment in terms of character buildup and things of that nature. Uh, Michael Gray eyes attacking the police officers in this movie, uh, you know, was once again, like another moment where I'm like, Oh, this is trying to be a bit of an action film at times. And As I said earlier, it feels like every single type of genre that this movie is tackling, like it's there in terms of the attempt, but it never fully delivers on any of them. And that was another example where for me, I was like, oh, like maybe there's going to be some cool action here and this is going to escalate. And then we still have the finale to come, but it never achieved uh, a certain level of quality that I was hoping for at any time. Although it was just really great to see Michael Gray Eyes in action in general. Uh, I, I did think the telekinesis stuff was pretty well done. I thought Zach Efron did a really uh, decent enough job during those scenes. Uh, but I, I couldn't help but keep thinking of the voice from Dune while watching those.
2: Yeah, it, it was a little goofy. A lot of the power execution in this, it, you know, you add one silly sound effect and it just crumbles. It,
1: it was, you know, what it was for me where I kind of like lost it is when all of a sudden the characters had their like, uh, their contacts for like the eye protection from Efron.
2: Yeah. And they kept pointing to them like, ah, 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 nice try. It was just, yeah. yeah. And there's, you can do that in a kind of campy knowing way if you want to go in that direction. But again, the movie made no strong choices with really anything.
1: Yeah. (laughs) When, when Zach Efron tells uh, John Beasley's character, I didn't kill my wife, and you know I didn't kidnap my kid. And his reply is, I don't know shit. <laughs> I just unintentionally started laughing so hard. And then he also said,
3: like, so you're telling me the TV is wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and again, one of those moments that if you had steered into the silliness and the campiness of this story, like, would have been kind of fun, but as is, it just is an, an incredibly stupid thing to say.
1: Very, very. Uh, And another really just baffling moment of direction that I really couldn't understand. There's a moment where Charlie encounters uh, three kids. She takes one kid's bike, another kid's sandwich, and then another kid's like jacket. And then she asks them as she's pedaling away, which way is the coast? And they do this wide shot of the three kids and they all point in the same direction, but at different times. And I thought it was so weird because the shot held on to the three of them waiting for, like, the third kid to just, like, raise his hand. That was as if he, like, missed his cue or something. And they all pointed in the direction that she was going. Exactly. What? It was so
3: Why'd you even poorly ask? executed. Oh, my God.
1: And there were a lot of examples of things like that throughout this movie, but that was the one I wanted to
2: highlight as just the one that I was like, wait, What? Yeah. And then she gets to the lab powered by one peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It was just, you know, powerful. <laughs> yeah. uh, do I have anything
1: else? Oh, if you call 911, 911 typically calls you back. <laughs> like they take the they take the phone away from Charlie and they, I'm like waiting for them to like call the house back. You know? sure. I mean, they did show up, but you're right. That That is true. That is true. Anyway, alright. I don't want to nitpick too too much here. This movie is not good. Let's get over the final score here. Uh hmm. you know, I gotta be honest, I I was tempted to rate this the lowest rating possible. Like I was I was very close. But I'm gonna give it a 2 out of 10. It's still one of the worst movies I've seen this year and is definitely near the bottom of my list for 2022. Uh, but do I think it's like an all-timer? Worst movie I've ever seen. Status, not necessarily. Uh, but it was close. It was very close for me. Cody, what about you?
2: So, agreed. It is it is the worst movie I've seen this year so far, so congrats. Uh, but I end up with a 3 out of 10, if only because I had a strangely fun time not in the way the movie wanted us to at all. So I, I have to, you know, my experience was a 3 out of 10. And that partly was because I saw it in a theater with some friends. If I was watching this by myself on the couch... It, I'd be scrolling my phone be out. And so maybe it's just the way I viewed my, my Maybe it was just my viewing experience, but still it was three out of 10 is still not a good rating. <laughs> Josh.
1: I
3: am going to be a two out of 10 uh, as well. I think this movie. Yeah, it's really bad. The lowest scores is reserved for stuff that I'm like angry that I watched. And I'm not like necessarily angry at the end of this movie. I'm just like defeated and just so unmoved by it because it's just so much of a like nothing experience. But it's not like the most terrible thing I've ever seen. It's just so uninspired in its execution and left no impact. So I I still think it's a pretty, pretty bad movie, but it is not the worst of the worst. But, you know, not like the best accolade to lay out upon a film.
1: I'm still trying to figure out how this is the same cinematographer as Possessor. Like, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that right now, but (sighs) whatever. I shouldn't try to make sense of this, which is why I'm also not going to try and make sense of any kind of Oscar prospects.
2: It's just not there. No, uh, come on. (laughs) Even if it was good, there wouldn't be any Oscar prospects. Yeah. No, that flame is out. No, thank yeah.
1: you. Nice try there, Cody. Nice try.
2: It, it, no, it wasn't. <laughs>
1: it was bad. <laughs> I'm just I'm just mad I didn't find a way to incorporate liar liar pants on fire during this review. I probably should have like called one of you out for your she opinions. Did.
3: The movie already did yeah. it? My God. <laughs>
1: she did say that. That happened.
3: In like the most serious way she could have said
1: yeah. it. <laughs> mm. Uh man. You know, what's funny, too, is that I was thinking about this the other day. We're in the middle of May. I would expect a film like this to actually appear in Q1 of the year. But it's just been very odd where it feels like we have, like, a big movie that is a huge talking point uh, with, like, Doctor Strange. And then we have this. And it was also, like, reminiscent of that week where we had Memory Josh, where it's like, this is the big release of the week. So I'm wondering if it's, like you know, pandemic uh, scheduling and people's uh, projects that they shot like during COVID releasing now this year, and some of them are just like smaller in scale and not really receiving huge uh, distribution um, and thus getting these very, very tiny uh, releases. I I don't know. I don't really, I really don't know what the deal is here because I feel like compared to other years before the pandemic, there would always be a major movie of some sort, whereas now I feel like we're getting a lot of stuff that uh, it's reminding me of like the first year of the pandemic.
2: It's some weeks here, you know? Well, I think people are just scared of Marvel. So they give it a clear birth for like three weeks. You know, I, my theater was empty and not just my actual theater I was in, the theater as a whole on a Friday night. and I was talking to one of the employees and he was like, yeah, I remember just packed into Doctor Strange, which I mean, I don't have to tell you how depressing I find that. And you would think that because this is marketed as a horror movie
1: starring Zac Efron that this would actually get an audience because horror movies are surprisingly the only types of movies that have done well during the pandemic for the most part.
2: Sure but you know, day and day streaming. Yep, yep true. All right. Well, that'll
1: do it here for our review of Firestarter here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Josh Parham, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You
3: can find me on Twitter at JR Parham. Cody Derricks.
2: I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91.
1: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts be sure to leave us a review on apple podcast leave us a review rate us five stars drop us a comment we really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at patreon for one dollar minimum a month you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us thank you so much for listening as always we shall see you all next time